Daily Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, January 3rd, the year of our Lord, 2023. Over under of me screwing that up over the next two months, probably four or five and a half. Ask not what you can do for bowl season. Ask what bowl season can do for you. We're jam-packed. We're high atop a stormy downtown Nashville, Tennessee. But we got a lot to talk about. You've asked me once. You've asked me a thousand times over the past week. Where's all the talk about bowl season? Well, uh, the schedule kind of was weird on us this year. And last year, we did some regular bowl talk, some non-playoff bowl talk. It didn't do good numbers. But you know what? You've asked again, so I'm going to give it to you. And boy, are we going to give it to you. We're loaded tonight. I don't know how long the show's going to go, but we're going to get a lot of bowl talk in. I got several thoughts, not just on the games, but then on moving forward, what it means for a whole lot of teams. I have to discuss some things with you tonight about Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett. Shockingly, shockingly, there's still some folks on either side of the proverbial fence when it comes to Stetson Bennett. I'll tell you where I land, because I think I'm in a pretty rare club right now. Bold predictions revisited? Yep, we're doing that tonight. Some Jim Harbaugh talk? NFL, maybe in his future? Yep, we're talking about that. Ryan Day, have we changed our opinion on him? Lincoln Riley, what in the world's going on when you're scoring in the mid-40s and still can't win? We'll discuss it all. They're watching us in Lubbock, Texas, Elkton, Florida, Oro Valley, Arizona, Ackworth, Georgia. You're all tuned in. You made the show do things we never thought possible in 2022. We are going to, in turn, give you some things that maybe you didn't think were possible over on our end in 2023. Paper pop on that. Thank you so much. To give you an idea of what we're doing this week. Tonight, normal show. Thursday, normal show. Sunday night, we'll be live from Los Angeles. And then Tuesday, the day after the national championship game, we'll be live from LA that day as well. I think we're going to go a little bit earlier in the day. And the reason I think that is because I've got a late flight out of LAX to catch, and I'm not staying out there till Wednesday. So the Tuesday show next week will be early. That's then, though. This is now. And in the here and now, I think you and I just witnessed one of the craziest bowl seasons ever, and it's not over. We still have the national championship game to come, but there are some folks out there in the more casual college football community who still traffic in the whole meaningless bowl game conversation. Now, we're long since past that. You and I have never even so much as dipped our toe into those waters poisonous as they are, but you may have some people in your life that still traffic in that sort of nonsense. Just hit the mute button on them, figuratively. Just mute them. You can mute a casual. Mute them. Make it your New Year's resolution. Mute more casuals in 2023. I got to talk to you about so many of these games. First up, Tennessee beat Clemson. Beat them convincingly. And I got to tell you, the last thing I did before we went on Christmas break is I didn't corner Director Colin in the hallway, but I happened upon Director Colin in the hallway. And I said, Colin, how do you feel? You're going to be able to take down Clemson? And, and I, I felt the shakiness in his voice. He hoped so. He didn't know so. Jalen Hyatt's not playing. Cedric Tillman's not playing. Cade Klubnick's going to get the start for Clemson. Most people in this building thought he was the better quarterback of the two all year for Clemson. And it did not matter, at least in terms of the final score. 31 to 14 was the final there. Uh, I'll tell you what stood out to me. You know, that throw there, if you're watching on YouTube, Chief among them, Joe Milton was just on fire. He's just throwing darts, 19 of 28, 251, three touchdowns. And I think a lot of people's minds either got changed on Joe Milton or at the very least he gave you cause to sort of hit the pause button on coronating a true freshman as the starting quarterback for Tennessee next year. Now, I've got some thoughts on how that quarterback race is going to go. I don't necessarily think January 3rd is the time to do a hardcore in-depth discussion of the Tennessee quarterback situation in the year of our Lord 2023. However, Joe Milton represented himself very well. Now, here's what's going to be fun. Nico's already on campus, five-star quarterback there. 
The reason I'm calling him Nico is I have not mastered his last name yet. And so that's what I'm working on before spring ball, but we're going to get to see them both. That coaching staff's going to get to see both of them in spring, and you'll get a really good gauge. The reason I'm mentioning that is because, as we were just talking about right before we came on the air, you've got another transfer portal window after spring football. And I think there are going to be some mildly to moderately surprising moves in that period after some quarterback battles start to shake out a little bit. And I'm, I'm not suggesting Tennessee's going to be one. I'm saying Tennessee will be one worth watching. Uh, LSU will be one worth watching. Alabama will be one worth watching because if you've got multiple high-level talents on your roster, not all of them can start, obviously. And if any of them gets a whiff that they are definitely going to be a number two or number three going into the fall, you may see the portal become an option for them. But as for this game, we took Tennessee plus five and a half. The Ramen Noodle Express, by the way, just chugged its way proudly through the bowl season, finished seven and two. That's the way we like to finish. That's the way we like to start 2023. This was the one I was most concerned about because I trusted the model blindly. And you know where that's gotten me with programs that initials are UT this year. But Tennessee, it worked out. Uh, Clemson, you know what? Let me talk about Clemson in just a second. I do want to give a big hat tip to Josh Heupel and his team. They averaged 46.1 per game this year, program record. They averaged 525 and a half yards per game. I don't need to tell you they set a lot of offensive records up there. Ton of excitement around Tennessee football, as there should be. Now, as for Clemson, I'm not going to let one bowl game cast the entire die on the program and the coaching staff and everything like that. I don't have to. There were a lot of doubts about Clemson going into this game. Relative doubts. Not the kind of doubts you would have around a 6-6 six and six program. But at Clemson, there's a high standard. They have set that high standard. It's called a consequence of success, and they suffer from it. I think one of the most wild reverse padlock stat lines you will ever see is them getting into plus territory seven times in the first half and scoring three points. I don't know. If I had a cheat code against you on Xbox, I probably could not limit you in seven plus territory trips to three points. Somehow Tennessee did it. Um, there are some just crazy happenings with Tennessee this year. That's one of them. The fact that they got blown out by South Carolina, but also found a way to beat Alabama. So much crazy stuff. Anyway, two programs to watch here. And, and for very different reasons, but two programs to watch going into spring. They will have our attention around here. Next up. Where were you? Where were you when Tulane, trailing 15 in the fourth quarter, came back to beat USC? Where were you? I'll tell you where I was. I was driving on I-65, and I was listening on the radio, and that's the kind of game that it really paid to listen to on the radio. A lot of drama. College football's great on the radio. Not quite as good as baseball, maybe, because baseball's made for radio, but it was a really good one. So let me tell you, I go down to Tulane earlier this year for the UCF game, and they got beaten pretty soundly. I picked probably the worst representation of Tulane to witness because elsewhere this season, they end up going 12-2. and Willie Fritz turns this thing around from 2-10 last year to 12-2. All kind of history was made, all kind of record books rewritten. And I'm going to talk about Lincoln Riley and USC in just a second here, too. But we talk about winners first. I thought that was going to be USC, a vast majority of this game. It was not. What a classic Cotton Bowl this was. So Tulane's down 15. And as I said, I'm driving. And I remember thinking to myself, this is bowl season. It's been really crazy so far. Self, I asked, what would have to happen for Tulane to win this game? It was very obvious. You would have to have a, a special teams and defensive implosion. and then. 
USC's special teams imploded, and then their defense imploded. And voila, that's how you don't give away a game without the other side taking it. So I'm not going to say they gave away the game. They lost the game because Tulane came back and won. Now, the casual in the crowd would look and say, wow, this has got to be one of the bigger upsets in bowl history, right? The more informed fan would look and say, nah, man, even at kickoff, the line was USC minus two and a half. Well, turns out the odds makers knew what they were doing. Once again, it's why we did not include this game in the Ramen Noodle Express. I looked at it. I thought USC was very tempting too, but the model scared us away. The model knew. Texas is its blind spot, but everywhere else, the model knew. This is the second 12-win season in Tulane history. They, I want you to listen to this now. They beat all three of the teams leaving the AAC for the Big 12. They beat all three of them. And that's not easy to do in any given year, but especially this year, they beat Central Florida. Or Central, yeah, Central Florida, that's the game I was at. But keep in mind, they also went to Houston and won. They won at Cincinnati. So what a big turnaround, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't remind you. I will reiterate it again for those of you who had been tuned out. Willie Fritz was Georgia Tech's to lose, and they lost him. And they didn't lose him because Willie Fritz backed out. That's the head coach at Tulane, for those unfamiliar. They didn't lose him because Willie Fritz backed out. They lost him because they were not willing to wait. Willie Fritz wasn't leaving that team before the season was over. And Georgia Tech was not willing to wait. And they got Brent Key. More power in the world to Brent Key. This is not an anti-Brent Key thing, but I, I think that an opportunity was missed there for Georgia Tech. As for USC, as for Lincoln Riley, we have some things that need to be taken care of in Los Angeles, California. We'll be out there later this week. I don't necessarily think even we have the answers, but I've got a stat here that probably more perfectly illustrates the inherent problems with a current Lincoln-Riley team than anything I can say. Lincoln-Riley now has six losses when holding a lead of 14-plus points since 2017. That is the worst number in all of FBS. The worst! So that's a problem that's got to be rectified. Now, I was doing some radio in Portland this morning, and they asked me, is this just always going to be a program and always going to be a head coach? that's doomed to scoring a lot of points, but still losing because they can't get their collective act together in the other two phases. I'm not going to say special teams has been a chronic problem, but defense has been a chronic problem. Let's just state it like it is for Lincoln Riley teams. Here's my counter. I don't think that Lincoln Riley is ignorant enough to not have long ago realized this. I'm just saying, even if he does realize it, he did not walk into a situation that was ready made to turn that around overnight defensively. Um, even if they're making all the right moves right now in, in terms of talent acquisition and development, you are not going to see the fruits of that this year. Now, I'm not saying they are. I'm just playing devil's advocate. Even if Lincoln Riley is doing the right things, kind of like Mike Norvell at FSU, th they were doing the right things two years ago. It took two years for it to finally start paying off. If Lincoln Riley is doing the right things defensively right now, it'll still take a year or two to pay off. Let's just hope he's doing the right things right now. Because if he's not, you're going to see... Big-time talent and, and big-time teams wasted because you can't play complimentary football. Next up, this one, this one made us a lot of money, I got to tell you. It made your, boy, made your boy a lot of money. Alabama beat Kansas State 45-20. to 20. I had more 
dollars wagered on this game than any game in the history of my existence on planet Earth. Because I thought, flatly, when the number opened at Bama minus three and a half, and then you had Bryce Young and Will Anderson announce they were playing, odds makers could not correct the number. They couldn't because if you accurately corrected that number, you would have taken it from Bama minus three and a half to Bama minus 13 or 14. Truthfully, that's how much Bryce Young and then add on Will Anderson, but mainly Bryce Young at quarterback's worth that kind of point difference. Well, they couldn't do it. Uh, they exposed themselves. And so they couldn't cross seven, eight, nine, 10, 12, 13. They couldn't cross all those key numbers. And as a result, they left a vulnerable line out there and we pounced on it. So we won this one big time. Producer Jesse tells me that he tuned into this game around the start of the second quarter. Why is that noteworthy? It's noteworthy because those of us who watched from opening bell saw Kansas State build a 10-0 lead. Of course, history won't remember that because Bama went on a 35-0 run after that. But if you follow me on Twitter, you saw I I had a tweet all typed out. And I did not press send, fortunately, but I had it typed out. And I even took a screenshot of it. And the screenshot showed you that I was ready to say Alabama's playing poverty football today because they were to begin with. Bryce Young couldn't throw a spiral for a little while. He got it together. Yeah, I think they just thought the game started 30 minutes later than it did. They got it together eventually. And when they did, uh, they took the Big 12 champ and pretty effectively tossed him in the wood chipper. I'm not here to tell you Kansas State was a fraud at all. Kansas State was a very good team. You just saw what Alabama's been capable of, defensively even. You saw what they've been capable of. They played with a patchwork offensive line, but the sum of the talent there makes it so laughable when people talk to me about how they're thin. Like the rest of the country laughs when anyone dares to tell you, ooh, Alabama's thin, ooh, they got some depth concerns. By whose standard? By vintage Bama standards, they may have depth concerns. Their depth is still the envy of 98% of the rest of the country. And any given Saturday or any given game, that stuff is what they're capable of doing. You want to know why people have been upset with them this year? It's because they knew that was, that was in them. I'm watching C.J. Stroud in the Georgia game, and I'm happy for him, and yet I'm mildly angry at him because I've known that kind of performance has been in you. Your whole career, it's been in you. This Bama team this year, that was in them. You don't have to play down to the final play of the game. You can pull away from teams. They didn't maximize their potential this year as a team, but they did on this given day. Bryce Young, five touchdown passes to five different receivers. You'll notice they kept forcing the ball to Jermaine Burton. I don't think that was by accident. Burton announced he's coming back. He's got to be a key player for them. I think their wide receiver core is going to be really good next year. Should have been good this past year. Just wasn't. So we'll see about that. But it's a great message. Uh, Nick Saban said afterwards something that I've tried to say on the show before. He just shockingly stated it more eloquently than I have, as he tends to do. He said, we had some guys opt out of the bowl game. We had guys like Bryce Young and Will Anderson, with more to lose than anyone, opt to play. He said, the way I look at it is, you're opting out, allegedly, to, to protect your value and go get ready for the combine. But he said, the combine doesn't increase your value. Playing football increases your value. Is there risk? Certainly there's risk. There's risk to getting out of bed in the morning. There's risk everywhere. But the reward is when you play the way a lot of these guys played in this past bowl game, you can make yourself millions and millions of extra dollars. And the thing about big-time players that I don't think it gets talked about a lot, but it's kind of known inside college football circles, these guys in these bowl games who choose to play are insured. And that program makes sure they're insured. 
I'm talking about big time seven figure insured. So yes, it's still a risk. It's just, it's greatly mitigated. Um, I thought it was a really, really good afternoon for Alabama. I'm excited to see what happens at quarterback there. Because they've got, Joe, well, I mean, you've seen, you've seen Jalen Milrow play. We're going to see Ty Simpson in the spring. Let's just, let's see where that goes. And I also think that still, I will reiterate emphatically, might I add, you're going to see coaching moves here. I don't think anything has changed. I know it feels a little quiet right now. I want you to remember, not everyone's season is over. Not just at this level, also at the pro level. Not everyone's season is over. So there may be some moves Nick Saban is very much planning to make. He just can't make quite yet. Yes, I still think coordinator moves, maybe plural, definitely singular at the very least are going to happen there. Penn State. Let's move, let's move on and talk about the fighting yesies. The fighting yesies from State College. Penn State 35, Utah 21. What a great Rose Bowl. Some of you think that the Rose Bowl is overrated. I am not among you. I would encourage you to go make the trip. I would encourage you to ask yourself what you love about college football. And then I would ask you how the Rose Bowl doesn't exude it. I didn't grow up in the Big Ten. I didn't grow up in the Pac-12. I grew up in, in rural Georgia. So I'm the I'm the least among you who should be celebrating the propaganda that is Rose Bowl coverage, but I love it. Absolutely love it. So this was the first Rose Bowl win for Penn State since 1994. I was provided a little list here, and this is an interesting list. Before I read you the list, formulate in your own mind what you think about James Franklin and what you think about Penn State. Let me give you two more seconds. One, two, okay, we're done with that. Now, I want you to listen to this list. Since 2014, there are only five teams with three or more New Year's Six Bowl wins. One of them is Bama. One of them is Ohio State. One of them is Clemson. One of them is Georgia. And the fifth, Penn State. It's not a bad list to be a part of. I know you don't think Penn State is the equal of those other programs. I didn't tell you they were. I don't think most of you would suggest James Franklin is the equal of those other head coaches. I didn't tell you he is. I'm simply trying to illustrate to you this program's not nearly as far off and has not been as far off as the all-or-nothing crowd, the feast or famine crowd out there would lead you to believe. This was, I believe, Sean Clifford at his very best, certainly this year and maybe even in his career. Thus the value of playing in bowl games. There was never a threat he was going to opt out, but there were, there were a lot of reasons watching him yesterday to be happy for him and there's a lot of excitement around Penn State, obviously. We're going to enter the Drew Aller era now. Big-time quarterback talent. Hasn't proven anything yet. I've got confidence he will. Everybody else up there has confidence he will. But that's for another day. It was nice to see this. That's just, it's authentic college football. That's what it is. 80-plus yard passing touchdown. 80-plus yard rushing touchdown. Penn State had one of each yesterday. It's never happened in the history of the Rose Bowl, in the same game, for a team to do both of those things. So, Penn State finishes 11-2. Unfortunately, the two losses were the big games. They got blown out at Michigan, and they lost to Ohio State. Okay, you can either be in one of two camps. You can either think that that defines a team, and you can think that that means they're totally overrated and they don't belong in any conversation whatsoever when it comes to contenders, or you can be in the camp I happen to reside in and say all that means is they weren't as good as Michigan and Ohio State. Those two teams both made the playoff. So you fell shorter than two playoff teams 
elsewhere you took care of business, including beating the Pac-12 champ. And um, I think that's pretty good. Notice, notice the coded language I use when I talk about Penn State. I never say they're great. I never say they're elite. I never talk about them as being a bona fide playoff contender. I just don't call them trash. I don't call them overrated because it's dumb to talk about Penn State that way. Okay, in reality, in college football, there are several tiers. It's not tier one playoff teams and tier two everyone else. That's not the way it works. That is a casual point of reference. Penn State is a lot closer to being in that tier one than they are to being trash. And now we're moving into an era where you, you start putting out the boxes next to that team, and a lot of them are checked. There, there are very few X's, and there aren't a ton of question marks. So if they can keep that staff together, they've already got a great nucleus of talent. And what are we headed into? We're headed into an era, which we'll talk about later in the show, where I'm not, I'm not sure what the status of Michigan's going to be. First, we have to get the Harbaugh NFL stuff sorted out. Again, I'm going to talk about that later. Um, Ryan Day and Ohio State still have not proven uh, that they're able of fully maximizing the potential of that program. I think they are, but that doesn't matter because they haven't proven it yet in the form of winning a title. Penn State had Ohio State on the ropes at various points in that game earlier this year. So it's not, it's not a gap of miles. It's a gap of feet. Maybe not inches yet, but feet. They can make that up. Let's move on. Bowl season is great. Oh, they said I couldn't talk about bowl season. We're talking about it. I had a fresh pack of shirts come in. Not a moment too soon, too, because the collar is so flimsy on my current rotation that the, the lav mic always gets bent up on it. If you're listening to podcast, ignore everything I just said. And if you're watching live, I appreciate you guys being tuned in. Really good crowd tonight. Make sure you subscribe to the channel and like the video. We're not going anywhere. This show doesn't end after the national championship next week. We just, we go all year long. So if everyone else quits on you, don't worry. We'll still be here. Oh, this one's going to hurt to talk about a little bit. I told you the Ramen Noodle Express went 7-2 and two in bowl season. Want to know what one of the losses was? LSU wood-chippered Purdue 63-7. to seven. The true Sarah McLaughlin special from bowl season. Brian Kelly did some stuff to Drew Brees that's illegal in so many states, including Florida, and yet it did it anyway. 594 to 263 was the yardage edge here. Big whiff for the model. Purdue plus 14 and a half was out there, and we gobbled it up, and we got gobbled up. Fortunately, we made up for it, and then some elsewhere. I mean, LSU had to punt on the opening drive. I'm watching it, and I'm saying, all right, Purdue, good job. And then uh, the next eight possessions happen. And the thing about those next eight possessions for LSU, they found the end zone in seven of them. I had stats and info run the numbers. Eight times seven, that's over half, 156 to be exact. It got ugly. It got ugly bad. They painted the walls with Purdue's blood down there. And then a funny thing happened. They poured Cheez-Its all over. Excuse me, Cheez-Its is not the plural, apparently. Uh, they, you know what? Screw the press release. The plural of Cheez-It is Cheez-Its, just like the plural of platypus is platypi, and status is stati. So they poured Cheez-Its all over Brian Kelly because it's the Cheez-It bowl, and then he ate some of them off the ground. But he ate them off the ground and didn't smile about it. See, Les Miles used to do that whole grass-eating thing back in the day, but he was doing it for spectacle. He knew he was being watched. Brian Kelly did it as if even though cameras weren't in the building and there may not be anyone in the crowd, he still would have done it the same way. And I respect that because I live my life in a very similar fashion. It doesn't matter how much money this company ever pays me, they could put me in the 10-figure range. If there is free food anywhere in the vicinity, it's coming with me. 
And Brian Kelly looked down at that big pile of cheese that's on the ground, and he said, I'm not letting all these go to waste. Boom. You can talk in any accent you want. I understand that language. You got free food in front of you, you clean your plate, or the field, as it were. And um, football game was still going on too. And you know what happened after this game? They asked Brian Kelly in his post-game presser about the quarterback situation. And he did something that mildly surprised me. He said, well, Jaden Daniels is our starter. Now, Garrett Nussmeyer is going to be able to compete for this job in the spring, but, but uh, Jaden Daniels is going to be our starter. Now, the reason I say that mildly surprised me is because I don't know his particular angle. I just never think there's a whole lot of things to be gained by making those kind of statements before you have to, if you want to maintain your quarterback depth. There's another school of thought, two of them actually. Uh, one school of thought is you say that to challenge Garrett Nussmeyer. The third school of thought, and I definitely don't know if this is the case, is you say that to force his hand coming out of spring. If you're going to transfer, go ahead. But we'd like to know before fall. We'd like to know if you're going to transfer maybe before spring or certainly after spring. I don't think he's trying to get the guy to transfer. I'm just saying outside of those possibilities, I'm not so sure why you make that kind of statement. January is not normally the time you make that kind of statement. But there was one other thing. There was one other little cloud that was kind of floating around the LSU program. Any of you with internet access probably familiar with the kind of rumors that were floating around LSU. I know I got asked about it at the very least hundreds of times. I hesitate to say thousands, but it really felt like that. There were some rumors floating about regarding some things that may or may not have happened with the LSU football program in Atlanta the weekend of the SEC championship game. Yeah, I had heard about them. I had heard about them weeks ago. I didn't repeat them on the air because I couldn't confirm them. And then when you asked me about them, I didn't confirm them via social media because I still couldn't confirm them. And then Brian Kelly was asked about it afterwards, and I should have brought up his quote. Anyway, very, very loose paraphrasing job here. He said, there's nobody with this team that's done anything to warrant getting fired or getting suspended, and that was that. And I, I believe that to be the case. So, yeah, I'm not trafficking in it. If you got evidence of anything ever, I'm not telling you don't submit it to me. We get, we get intel fed to us all the time, and I greatly appreciate it, and we have never burned a source, and we never will burn a source, uh, but I'm going to be responsible about what we do and don't say on this show. And there's a reason I didn't mention a word about rumors uh, regarding LSU and Atlanta, because that's what they were to me, rumors. You should, you, you, your eyes would roll into the back of your head for the worst of reasons if you could see all the rumors that get sent to us. Got to be careful. Paper pop. Moving on. Um, I think this may have been the most entertaining bowl game, not the LSU game. <laughs> that, was a, that was tough to watch. Notre Dame and South Carolina just played a thriller. It was anything but meaningless. I'll tell you that. 45 to 38, Notre Dame won this game. I, I would grade this one as maybe the most entertaining non-playoff game that we saw. Uh, Tyler Butner just shining. Everyone knowing he's going to transfer. He's shining there anyway. He's basically just having an open audition for other teams. And they, hey, hey, speaking of Sean Clifford, Tyler Butner probably played about as good as we've seen him. There's a really interesting situation around Notre Dame right now where you got Butner there and he's playing out of his mind and no one thinks he's going to be with the team after this. And then you got guys coming in in future recruiting classes, but they won't be the starter in 2023. And you got rumors that Sam Hartman is coming in. Not Dan Hartman. I can dream of 
It's a great song. Not Dan Hartman. Sam Hartman coming in, but he's not there yet. So there's a much higher probability that a guy that isn't on their roster will be their starter this upcoming year than anyone who is on the roster or who is in their recruiting class. Welcome to college football 2023. Meanwhile, great game here. 558 in the total yardage department. And by the way, let's look at this season in totality for Notre Dame now. They started three and three. They finished nine and four. Whomst amongst us thought that was a possibility? Not I. Uh, there was a period there where they had lost to Ohio State and Marshall to start the year. The question was, are they going to make a bowl? Yeah, they made one. And they actually got to play in, in sunny but chilly Florida. And they played a really entertaining game. They just need the quarterback now. They need a bridge quarterback. They need exactly one year out of a quarterback. I think it will be Hartman. Uh, this, was, this was an interesting game for Notre Dame just because it put a really solid and positive cap on a program that's headed in the right direction. Good recruiting class coming in. Looks like they'll be able to leverage the portal. South Carolina is an interesting story here, too, because even with the bowl loss, again, they overachieved this year. But here's the, here's the interesting caveat. They have a lot of transfer portal activity going on at South Carolina right now. And I was reading over on the Big Spur earlier today. I think it was John Whittle who was providing some updates, as best he could tell, about some very notable players. Spencer Rattler, as of today, they don't know what he's going to do. Now, that wouldn't be portal. That would be NFL draft. But Jordan Birch, big-time five-star prospect they got a couple of cycles ago. What's he going to do? No one knows. As of today, uh, Antoine Wells, wide receiver, what's he going to do? No one knows. As of today, now that could change by the time the show's over. But some of the most important recruiting jobs that they have left on their plate there in Columbia involve, in many cases, players on their own team. Uh, by the way, the fourth quarter numbers, decidedly in the favor of the Irish, 205 to 32 total yardage. Hats off to Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame for pulling the nose up in a big way this year. A couple more here. We got a loaded show tonight. I'm going all different directions tonight. This is what happens when, when we take a little bit of vacation. So many things get bottled up and we got to get it all out. FSU. I, keep it up, Colin. We'll go Washington. Um, Washington beat Texas 27 to 20. And they closed the season on a seven-game win streak. And I know that for a lot of you, this is like halfway to Russia. When you're looking at the University of Washington, it's just up there somewhere. You don't really know where. It's not hard to find, actually. Seattle's not a hard place to find. But University of Washington and Kalen DeBoer finish 11-2. Everyone is dunking on the Pac-12 right now. You're not doing it because of Washington. Washington, you know how much I love trains. They're just little engine that cutting their way into contention. Maybe next year. They were there this year. It came down to tiebreaker scenarios that kept him out of the Pac-12 championship game. Michael Penix came in, and he was like the more quiet West Coast version of the Stetson Bennett story, only he had already done some things in Indiana before he transferred. But everyone, remember summertime? If you don't, let me refresh your memory. Michael Penix transfers from Indiana to Washington. And all you knew about him was he turns the ball over a lot, and he's hurt all the time. Well, he didn't turn the ball over a ton this year, and he wasn't injured a whole lot. And absent those two things, guess what he did? He played out of his mind, including in this game. 32 of 54, uh, over 280 yards through the air, a couple of touchdowns and a pick. What a success story this year. And it's not the last time that we'll be looking at high-profile transfers on the West Coast. DJ just went to Oregon State, so it's going to be a common theme. Uh, Bo Nix went to Oregon. 
very common theme on the West Coast. Caleb Williams, obviously, at, at USC, but what about Texas in this game, man? First off, before I talk about the pregame scene with Sark, their leading rusher, eight carries for 27 yards, not too good. Not good at all. Not good, Bob. Not great. Um, I know a lot of you saw the video floating around with, with Sark in the pregame. And there was, a, there was a timekeeper probably making a little more than minimum wage on the field. He's got the headset on, team's coming out of the tunnel, and he's just trying to decide whether to tell the team to go or not. And, and he, apparently he committed the cardinal sin. I didn't know it was one, but he reached out. Now, in fairness, he got, he got a, how should I put this and remain on air? He got a great big handful of pectoral muscle from Sark. And he was telling him, don't go yet. And Sark hesitated, hesitated, and then volcanically unloaded on this guy. And using phrases that I could not repeat for the sake of Meemaw being disappointed in me, told him, don't touch me. That was the message that was conveyed. There were just a few extra words put in there. I don't know. I'll tell you what it did. It made me forget about Pole Assassin and Gia the Monkey. It made me forget about them for a little while. So if that was what they were trying to do, if they were trying to race the memory of one instance out there for another, they succeeded. They couldn't beat Washington in the bowl game. Now, having said that, Texas still improved this year. They had a better year than they had last year. They finished 8-5. and five. They weren't even in a bowl game last year. So what do we make of them in 2023? I think they're going to be a little bit slept on. I know you think that's impossible with Texas, but relative to some of the noise that was being made about him coming into this year, I think they'll be slept on a little bit. Because three years, this weird thing happens. Common sense would tell you, you shouldn't even start investing a lot of your emotion and prediction into a coach until his third year. In college football, everyone puts all the hype into the first year. Then the second year is like do or die. And if you don't make the playoff either of those years, they just forget about you. Mike Norvell is the perfect example of Florida State. They just forget about you. In reality, year three, if you're worth your weight whatsoever, if you're worth your salt at all, that's when you start to make your noise. So what Mike Norvell ended up being at Florida State this year, maybe Sark is that in Austin next year. Speaking of Mike Norvell, let's talk about FSU for just a second. FSU beat Oklahoma 35-32. And I, look, I watched it and I thought, great job, Florida State. I remember we were on air, and we walked out of the studio, and it was on the monitor right around the corner. We watched the ending probably the same time you did. Thought it was a great game, great ending, a heartbreaker for Oklahoma, but great ending, and it put the cap on a great season for FSU. But then I made the dire mistake of seeing what the internet thought about it. And the internet said, this is nothing to write home about. Oklahoma was terrible this year. You only beat them by three. Be real, most of you were pissed that you didn't cover. That's what most of you were angry about. Well, I don't think Mike Norvell had a ticket. He didn't go Pete Rose on this game. He just wanted to win it by any means necessary, and they did. And Jordan Travis, he threw for like half a mile, I think, roughly half a mile worth of yardage in this game. Uh, they won. And so FSU finished with, what they finish with 10 wins, Jesse? Were they a 10-win team? Yeah, 10 wins. You guys won an eight. I went over to Knowles 24-7 preseason. You guys won an eight. Eight would have been good. You got 10. Here's the more important thing. This was not a bad, there are no bad wins in bowl seasons, but this was not even a win to look down on. Because with Dylan Gabriel, 
especially playing at his best, Oklahoma was a pretty good team. It's just that you didn't see that a whole lot this year. Now, you saw them with Gabriel. I would argue he wasn't always 100%, but towards the end of the year, Oklahoma's losses started to stack up. But look at them. Their final, their final four losses were by three points, three points, three points, three points. So their final four losses were by a combined 12 points. Thank you, Stats and Info. They had that three-game spell in the middle of the season where, I mean, they, they just totally got blanked against Texas. But down the stretch, yeah, I mean, they were, they were not a terrible team. They just keep losing close games. They lost another close game here. Well, you know what that means? That means that it probably doesn't take a massive course correction for Brent Venables and his team to see a big uptick. You know, they could be next year what Mike Norvell and his team were this year, for all we know. There's a, there's a lot of uncertainty, obviously, because you're, you're still in a rebuild. Or you're still in, if you're not calling it a rebuild, an overhaul, I think is fair, at the very least. Uh, but I just, look, I, we're going to talk about it more Thursday. How could you not feel great about Florida State right now? I was down with Brian McFadden in Atlanta. We were doing SEC championship coverage. First thing he said to me when he saw me was, what's up, how you been? We're winning the ACC next year. Just put a stamp on it right there. And I thought to myself, well, that's a little bold. You, you did play there. And so I get the love. And he said, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter where I played. FSU's winning the ACC. I'm not telling you that because I played there. I'm telling you that because it's going to happen. And then he probably rattled off about 15 bullet points. He may be right. The ACC is wide open, wide open. And Florida State's going nowhere but up. So this time, about four or five months from now, when we start entering the dreaded preview magazine season, you're going to see a brand on the cover of some of those preview mags you hadn't seen in a few years. And Chief Osceola is the face of that brand. And Jordan Travis will be the face of that team. And Mike Norvell will be the face of that team. Florida State, there's, there's, no, there's no sugar high here. This is not chugging a Red Bull. They took time, and they built it the right way. Not everyone was patient with them, but the right people in Tallahassee were patient with them. Uh, Tennessee, in years past, has fit that description. Very passionate fan base, sometimes irrational, but on the whole, they've been patient enough to allow the proper thing to develop. Florida State fans, sometimes irrational, just because they're very passionate, I don't ever knock you for that, but you've taken time, and now you got things developing the proper way, and you know what? As a result of that, you don't have to worry about falling back below the bowl threshold next year. You'll be fine. I'm not guaranteeing you'll win 10 or more games again. I'm telling you, you'll be in the hunt. There is no game that you're going to look at on Florida State's schedule this upcoming season and have to chalk it up as a loss. It's been a long time since we said that. It's been a long time since we approached a season and said, FSU can win every one of these games. In fact, it's been a very long time since we did that. How's that? 38 minutes for some bowl thoughts. Jesse, Colin, they said that we ignored bowl season. Oh, we didn't ignore bowl season. We didn't ignore it all. You guys ignored some of those videos we put out last year, but apparently you saw the error of your ways, and so you let me know. Talk about bowls or we're going to walk. Well, there's your bowl coverage. Uh, we've got a lot more show to go. Academy Sports and Outdoors is coming with me to Los Angeles. Not the whole store, because there are FAA restrictions for that sort of thing. And, and management wouldn't buy the seats anyway, even if they could come. But figuratively, these guys are coming with me to Los Angeles. So I'm going to tell you TCU and Georgia fans and, and any of you suits who just happen to be able to get access to a suite out there this weekend or next Monday, you find me, you see me, 
and I'm going to have a full pocket of Academy Sports and Outdoors gift cards. Now, I know that they don't exactly dot the landscape in the greater Southern California region, but Academy.com is your one-stop shop if you can't get there in person. And also, let's be real, most of you are going to be transient next week anyway. You're not from Los Angeles. You're coming in there from Fort Worth. You're coming in there from Athens and Atlanta and everywhere in between. If you see me, that's going to be the weekend, more so than ever, because I've got a reservoir of these gift cards built up. We're just going to unload them out there over an unsuspecting mass of people. But you got to ask. I'm not just going to frisbee one at you. Could hit you in the neck. Lawsuit. We don't want any of that. Academy Sports and Outdoors, though, uh, they're sending us out there loaded for bear. They've been the presenting sponsor of our show the entire year. It is Late Kick, presented to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. They keep it free. We don't ever have to try and charge you. We don't have to put the show behind a paywall. And it's not just because of generosity around here. It's a business. But it's made free to you because of them. So anything you need. You need a basketball. You need a shirt. You need shoes. You need a tent. They've got it. Academy Sports and Outdoors. Academy.com if you can't get there in person. All righty. I've done a lot of talking, but don't worry. The voice is rested, so we don't even need to chug from the chalice. We are simply going to chug from this nondescript. Why not? It's public spring water. We're going to chug some spring water right quick. There we go. For reasons that were stated on the show last week, we're cutting back on our caffeine intake. I was in Atlanta for the college football playoff semifinal, the Peach Bowl. Stetson Bennett in Georgia won the game. But I realized something about myself last weekend. I realized that he's not so different than me. We're not so different, Stetson and I. We're both part of pretty elite clubs. Stetson Bennett is on the precipice of being part of the two championship club as a starting quarterback, and hardly anyone's ever done that. But I'm part of an elite club, too. I'm part of the club that has freely admitted they were wrong about Stetson Bennett. And there are not a lot of us in the room. I'm the guy if you'll remember, that once spoke into this microphone and I said, no team with Stetson Bennett at quarterback is going to win a national championship. I was so confident in it. I was so sure of myself. Why? Because history was on my side. Well, if we were running the Georgia program based off history, this guy never would have gotten a shot to begin with. He has bucked history at every turn in his career and still continues to do so. So what I did was I came on the show and said, hey, man, I was wrong about him. I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I was wrong about him. He took every word that came out of my mouth and just stuffed him right back in my face. Good for him. But not everyone has come around. Even if the guy won a championship last year, not everyone has come around. Even if he's playing out of his mind in fourth quarters, not everyone has come around. And I just want to know, what part of this doesn't make sense to you at this point? What part of that kid there, number 13, in, in red and the silver britches, what part of his game is not translating? Like, I see shocking amounts of polarization still with that guy. And to me, if you've still got, like, legit doubt about Stetson Bennett, if you're still clinging to Stetson Bennett hate, you got a handful of ignorance in the other hand. There's no other explanation for that. If you cut college football open, if you cut the history and tradition of this game open, it's not Bryce Young and Caleb Williams that bleed out. God bless those guys, but you can see them coming a mile away. Five-star talent is five-star talent. When you cut college football open, stories like Stetson Bennett, that's what spills out, man. If you claim to love this sport more so than any other sport because the fabric and the DNA is made up of something different than all the other pro sports, 
how in the world are you about to sit there and crap on Stetson Bennett? First off, it's one of the greatest stories you'll ever hear, and I'm not going to retell it because you're going to get it force-fed down your throat over the next week. And all power to the folks telling the stories because it deserves to be told. But how do you look at it and say anything other than, if you doubted him originally like me, just, I was wrong. By the way, this is not a guy surrounded by all-world talent receiver. This is not a guy with a couple of future first-rounders in the backfield at tailback. This is a guy who is not able to be hidden. In fact, you can't hide quarterbacks no matter how talented you are. When you get to this level and when you get this late in the season in games that mean this much, you can't hide your quarterback, man, even if he is surrounded by a bunch of talent. But especially if he doesn't have those future first-round horses out wide and behind him, he's had to do it, and he's done it. His fourth quarter numbers look like a video game. And the other night, here's what just, it kind of gives you goosebumps. If you're watching from a neutral vantage point, I'm standing there on the field. I'm going back and forth, end zone to end zone. I'm staying ahead of Georgia's offense because I know I'm witnessing something really special. He played very average by his standards and very average by quarterback in major game standards for a lot of that game. They'd be the first to admit it. I mean, he was, he was readily admitting that post game. Here's the beauty about football. They give you four quarters, not two. See, you can start tweeting about something at halftime. You can start typing on a message board mid-third quarter, but the folks with the toughest mental resolve, the folks with like the heart of a champion, all the things that you think are cliches that actually go into what makes up a winner versus just an average person and a loser, he's got them. He's got them in spades. And so while everyone else is making all the noise in the world around him, folks like that, they're rare, but they're able to clear the mechanism. And when you can clear that mechanism, man, none of that noise matters. And you just keep swinging. You don't care. You couldn't care less what people are saying about you. You just keep swinging. And eventually, if you keep swinging and you're made of the right stuff, you land one or two or three. And that's what started to happen in the fourth quarter. And what was beautiful about it is anyone can look good when they're on their game all day. Anyone can look good when they're up 42 to 10. George is down two possessions and they just keep swinging. The entire team embodies what they've got at quarterback. That's normally the way it works. But I'm looking at that happen, and I'm saying to myself, I can't believe this is real. Knowing his story, I can't believe this is real. And even more than that, what makes me incredulous is people aren't fully appreciating it. And, and the only thing that can make sense to me is maybe you just don't like Georgia. If you don't like Georgia, you're rooting against Georgia. I get that, man. I grew up in the South. A ton of folks hate that program. More and more folks by the day hate that program. But as an individual, I'm not sure how anyone looks at that kid's game at this point and thinks that it's flukish or, or thinks it's inauthentic. There's, there's nothing about that that makes sense to me anymore. And the reason I'm addressing it on the show is because this is real. I'm not manufacturing this. There's a lot of this in my inbox. I don't mean two or three people, a very, very vocal ultra minority. I mean, there is a sizable portion of the college football public that still looks at that kid and says, oh, it's just, I just don't really buy it. I'm not sure what you're not buying. What I think is there is a large portion of people, and this may even include folks who love him, that can't fully appreciate what's happening right now. Because it's hard to appreciate history when you're witnessing it. It takes the benefit of years, maybe sometimes even a decade or two of hindsight. And then you look back, and only with the lens of history can you properly appreciate history when it was made in front of you. I've had that happen to me before when 
being able to watch this sport or cover this sport. And that's why I'm keenly aware and I try and appreciate when I'm witnessing it real time. There's no better time to appreciate it than the present. So appreciate this. You can pull against Georgia all you want to. That's fine. But at least appreciate what you're watching. They're watching us in... Wait, wait, wait. Titus wrote this all wrong. No, I didn't. Hector, Arkansas. Yeah. Hello, Hector. They're watching us in Dothan, Alabama, and they're watching us in Danville, Virginia. I appreciate all you guys being tuned in. Um, believe it or not, Joe's not done. Still got a lot more to talk about. Appreciate you guys being tuned in live, too. Um, we have like 3,500 people watching live. We have, at least as far as I can tell, like 700 likes. So my wish to you, click the thumbs up button and put it over 1,000 at the very least. It, it's, it's what Meemaw would want, okay? So if you don't do it for me, do it for Meemaw. You know what time it is, though. It's time to revisit some bold predictions. We went back in August. I asked you, you got some money? Bet it on something. Make a statement. Take a stand. And we got five of them tonight that you took. And uh, frankly, it's a mixed bag tonight. This has been a very fun series we've done. We got a mixed bag. Let's go first up here. And let's, let's talk about Man of Hate. Um, it's just his Twitter handle. Don't get worked up, guys. But he said, not a single Power 5 conference championship game will be a repeat of last year's matchups. Much love from a Fountain City native. The Fountain City, for those unfamiliar, Columbus, Georgia. This hit. He was right. Not a single conference championship game was a straight-up rematch from the year before. Now, I called this a 7 on the boldness scale, and I said... I think you're okay. You got a legit shot in every other conference, but I had a hard time believing that we were not going to see Georgia-Bama again in the SEC. As it turns out, we didn't. We, had, we went five for five in the Power Five conferences of, of unique matchups relative to last year. In the SEC, Georgia made it again. Bama didn't. In the Pac-12, Utah made it again. Oregon didn't. In the ACC, neither team that played in the conference title game last year made it. In the Big Ten, only Michigan made it. And in the Big 12, we had a brand new rematch or matchup, I guess. So no conference title game at the Power Five level was a rematch. Good call there. Next up, this one did not hit. This one was from Kyle. He said, at the end of the year, there will be three teams from the state of Texas ranked higher than the Longhorns, checking in from San Antonio. This did not hit. But it wasn't far off, Kyle. It was not far off. I like where your head was. Immunity. Uh, TCU, yeah, they finished number three. And we're talking about it at the end of the regular season and after conference title game. So TCU finished number three. They were 13-1. and one. That's one. We needed three. So that's one. Texas finished 20th. And they were 8-4. and four. So Texas was the second highest ranked team in Texas. Now UTSA finished 25th. So it was close. UTSA went 11-3, by the way. Uh, but Texas Tech, they, they peaked early, and then they fell off a little bit. But here's what really cost you, Kyle. Baylor didn't hold up their end of the bargain. A&M didn't hold up their end of the bargain. And that's really what bit you. Next up, this one. This one was a good shot here. And I doubted it. And for that, I apologize. This one was from Hopeful Panthers. And he said, South Carolina will go 2-2 two and two against Arkansas, Georgia, A&M, and Clemson. Now, think about this in the context of the preseason. A&M was a preseason top 10 team. I know it seems like a long time ago, and it was. But uh, he said, South Carolina, the Gamecocks going 2-2 two two against Arky, Georgia, 
A&M and Clemson, South Carolina's defense also takes a huge leap under second-year coordinator Clayton White. Well, we chose to mainly focus on the predicted record. He nailed it. They went exactly 2-2 two and two against those four teams. They lost to Arkansas. They lost to Georgia. So they started 0-2 against those teams, but I'll tell you what they did. They beat A&M 30-24, and then they beat Clemson 31-30. And for good measure, they also beat Tennessee, too. Uh, in fact, let me rephrase. Obliterated Tennessee. They obliterated Tennessee, too. And they ended up going 8-5. and five. So this was a good call here, and I thought it was pretty bold. I put an 8 on the boldness scale. This South Carolina season, someone should already be well underway in writing a book about it. Because there are so many things that just don't belong in the same season. You shouldn't be beating Clemson on the road, no less, and also losing 38-6 to Florida. You shouldn't be losing 38-6 to Florida and then just skull-dragging Tennessee the next week. How in the world did that happen? I still don't know. We know everything there is to know about this season now. It's totally over. I still can't make sense of that. Next up, this one hit too. This was another good prediction here. Uh, Jared said the ACC will be left out of the playoff again this year. What else did he say, just for fun? The Big Ten will have one team. That was wrong. Big 12 will have one team. That was wrong. Uh, SEC will have two teams again. That was wrong. Okay, so Jared, we're giving you credit because we only paid attention to the first part. The ACC will be left out of the playoff. Ding. I put a six on the boldness scale, by the way. Clemson was the hurdle, obviously. Clemson was the preseason overwhelming favorite. Uh, they were the favorite throughout the season in the conference, but when they lost to South Carolina, it spelled doom for the rest of the conference. So, Jared, you had that locked up. You were sitting pretty before conference championship Saturday. And lastly, a little bit off the national radar, but you know what? I wouldn't be G5 Josh if I didn't acknowledge Tristan saying Butch Jones will have a complete turnaround in year two at Arkansas State. He will lead the Red Wolves to six-plus wins, and a bowl win. Well, this didn't quite happen, friends. Now, here is the good news, because we like to end on a positive note here, at least end the segment on a positive note. They went 2-10 and 10 last year. So when I tell you Butch Jones and Arkansas State went 3-9, and nine, you shouldn't do anything other than celebrate. Uh, good for Butch Jones. I did tell you I thought they were about two years away at the beginning of the season, so I thought it was unrealistic to think they were going from 2-6. to six. Uh, three, I'm not going to say ring the city bells and, and anoint him with a new 10-year deal, but I don't think this is the biggest indictment that the program's not headed in the right direction. However, um, there are a couple of three blowouts on that schedule. So, yeah, a little work to do. Don't worry, but you'll get it done. I mean, there are a lot of concerns I have in this sport. Butch Jones and Jonesboro, Arkansas, not one of them. I put an eight on the boldness scale for that one. Okay, I have some more things to talk to you about, and I'll tell you why. Because we've been gone a while, and I, I got some thoughts. So much so that I'm going to apply some chapstick here right quick. Ah, there we go. My perfect shade, too. I had a question from one of you about Ryan Day, and I would like to answer that question right now. Colin, if you would, from Jordan. He says, the college football playoff semifinals were both great games. I agree, Jordan. He said, even in the loss, did your opinion change on Ryan Day after Saturday from Toledo, Ohio? Yes, my opinion did change, which kind of makes me a hypocrite because I told you four quarters would not be changing that guy one way or the other. I'm only saying I changed my mind slightly on him, but it may not be the way you think. So first, Jordan, you or anyone else out there, 
I want to ask you, how do you feel about him? Rhetorically, you can talk to your phone if you're listening on podcasts. You can just talk to your computer screen if you're watching live. How do you feel about him? And for you, is it any different than you felt about Ryan Day going into the Georgia game? Now, I'll tell you how my mind changed. It's going to sound kind of counterintuitive to you. Um, but if you watch the sport enough, it should make sense. I think a little bit more highly of Ryan Day. I already thought highly of him. I, I am not at all in this group of folks who thought it was do or die, hot seat. That's foolishness. So I'm not part of that. I'm not calling you a fool. I'm saying if you think that, I think it's a foolish thought. I want to be more respectful in 2023. I, I wish so badly that I could bottle up what I got from Ryan Day and C.J. Stroud, and I could have had that all year. It's not a promise they would have beaten Michigan. It's not a promise of anything. I'm just saying, as a person and as a competitor and as an athlete or a coach in life, you've got strengths and weaknesses, right? We've all got strengths and weaknesses. Every one of us, Ryan Day included, C.J. Stroud included. What, at times, I think has aggravated me as just a neutral observer and Buckeye fans, hardcore to the max, as actually being emotionally invested, What's aggravated some folks about watching Ryan Day and, and C.J. Stroud really this year is their strengths have not been fully on display. They haven't let their horses run, in other words. They haven't turned their strengths loose, and they did in this game. They lost the game, okay? They turned it loose. I, I looked at Ryan Day. I looked at the level of intensity that guy had. I looked at how dialed in he had his team. I looked at how prepared he had his team. I looked at how prepared they were. I, I looked at the attention to detail. Every box that a fraudulent coach would not have had checked, Ryan Day had checked. You don't always win. You play at this level, other really good teams can beat you. Tip your cap to Georgia. It's not because you dropped the ball at all. I got, I mean, I got more out of Ryan Day than even I could have expected. I got more out of CJ Stroud than I ever expected to get in that game. He let his horses run. He finally took his strengths as a player, as an athlete, and said, I'm using every ounce of it tonight. And if I lose, I lose. But I got news for you. What you got out of Ohio State and Ryan Day the other night, nine times out of ten, that's good enough to win. And in fact, most of the time, it'd be good enough to win comfortably where you can rest your quarterback and play the backup in the fourth quarter. So if, if my mind changed about Ryan Day, it's that I think even maybe a little bit more highly of the guy than I did. You can nitpick play calling if you want to. That's fine. I'm not telling you the guy's perfect. I'm telling you, he had his team and his program at a very high level the other night, and they just got beat. Oh, well, they got beat. That team did not play at that level against Michigan. Not close. Not close. So what did they do? They rebounded. They regrouped. They were given a second chance. Most folks don't get it. And they rebounded, and I thought they represented themselves very well. Uh, Jesse walks in earlier today, and for those of you who thought this was a do-or-die game for Ryan Day, and you think now, well, we've, we've got the book on Ryan Day. We know who he is. No, you don't. You don't, because you don't know what the future holds. Once upon a time, they thought they had Kirby Smart figured out in the SEC. Uh, about a year ago, he couldn't win the big one. Well, then all of a sudden, he won the big one. And now he's a national champ, and he's a favorite to win another one, and he's the toast of the SEC. And what changed? Four quarters changed everything, really. But Jesse walks in, and he gives me a list. And it is the best winning percentage of all head coaches in the history of major college football with a minimum of 50 games. Uh, Walter Camp is number one. 
guy named Newt Rotney is number three. Ryan Day is number two. But yes, yes, by all means, the guy is just a nexus of underachievement in the universe. Let's get him out of here. Moving forward, there are going to be a lot of people who tell you Ryan Day chokes in big games, can't get it done. Notice the word can't. I'm going to come back to that in a second. He won't win the big game for us. He'll just fatten up on inferior competition. You, you hear it just like I do. So you know what they're saying. Um, let me tell you, it's very fitting that he just faced Kirby Smart because I keep trying to remind people what they were very recently saying about Kirby Smart. It was the same thing, exact same thing. Back in 2018, Kirby plays in the SEC title game. They called a horrific fake punt in the middle of the fourth quarter, probably turned the game. They lose against Alabama. You know what they said about him? Chokes in big moments, man. That's, uh, uh, an elite head coach wouldn't have made that call. No, a more experienced head coach wouldn't have made the call. Well, guess what Kirby Smart has now? He's got experience. And it comes time for them to call a timeout in a key moment the other night when Ohio State's about to execute a perfect fake punt, and he called it. Why? Probably because he's a little more experienced, and he's got thousands of hours of repetition under his belt, and Ryan Day doesn't quite have that yet. He will one day. I go back to the word can't. He can't. No, there's a big difference in someone can't do something versus someone hasn't done something. Ryan Day hasn't won that big one. Ryan Day hasn't gotten you a national championship. He's fully capable of it. Fully capable. And it's not overhauling the program. He doesn't have to reinvent himself. The reality is they're close right now. Outside of the teams who have already won one, they're as close as any program out there. The difference is fractions of degrees. If I'm sitting in Nashville, Tennessee right now, and I, I plot a chart one degree different, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference at the edge of this table right here. But if I'm going to Prague, if I'm going to Sicily, one degree's difference in my course makes a big difference. It makes a hundred miles worth of difference once I get that far away. Well, if you, if you change degrees, just fractions about yourself and your program, you know what difference that can make over the span of a football season? Playing 12 games over four months, plus you've got summer workouts, you've got spring. If you just change fractions of degrees, you know, if you, if you bring in one player from the portal, if you shore up corner, I, I, didn't, I was listening to our buddy, uh, well, actually, I don't want to single someone out. I mean, I listen to Zach Smith a lot, but a lot of the Ohio State beat had noticed, uh, this team's not quite what they have been at corner. Well, develop them. Get them better at corner. That doesn't mean tearing it down to the studs and rebuilding the program. They don't need to do that. Uh, that's, that's just hyperbole and, and nonsense. So, yeah, I guess I do think a little differently of Ryan Day. I got more respect for the guy now than I did Saturday, and he lost. So that's what can happen sometimes in a loss. On the other side of that rivalry, I will take a sip from the chalice now. Um, I think we had a Twitter question about this, didn't we? Yeah, let's show the Twitter question. Better than me just bringing it up. Nate from Dearborn, Michigan. Do you think Harbaugh is really headed to the NFL this time? A lot of rumors out there about this, which there were always going to be. I think that it goes without saying we just saw an incredible year from Michigan, and they went to the playoff. Um, I'm, I'm stunned they lost the game against TCU. Just stunned. I think if they played the game again tomorrow, they'd win it. But you know what? That's me talking about paper. We don't play the games on paper. They played it on the field. They got beat, and that's the way it goes. So now they're home and their staff's on vacation this week, uh, but they're going to come back later this week, and we got some things to find out. My question 
My question with Harbaugh is not whether he's interested in the NFL. I know he is. My question is not whether there's mutual interest. I'm sure there's some organizations interested in Jim Harbaugh. I don't care about that, okay? Because that doesn't determine whether he's going to leave. Here's the thing I'm focused on, and it's the only question I'm focused on. Is he willing to interview for a job? There's a certain strata you get yourself in where you're too good to interview for the job. Uh, number one, it's because of just that. You think you're good enough to where your resume speaks for itself. And the other is, you know from an optics standpoint, you can't afford to go interview for that job and not get it. He already did that one time around. I'm a believer he's not going to do that again. And I'm not alone there. So if he gets an actual offer, I think he's very likely to take it. Is he willing to interview? Or on the other side of that coin, is there an organization out there willing to offer Jim Harbaugh their job without going through that interview process? Informally, of course. So, that's the big question. Now, in a normal world, if this were a vacuum, he wouldn't owe you an explanation or me an explanation. He could just tell you, mind your own business, and you could go about his life. This is not a vacuum. This is college football. And so, for several reasons, he does have to make a public statement on this. Number one, you got to hold your roster together. Number two, you got to hold your recruiting class together. Uh, number three, your staff. You lost both coordinators last year during that whole ordeal with the Vikings. Not sure you want to go through that again. So the fourth thing, I would encourage you to go to the michiganinsider.com because they do a great job covering this. Listen, Sam Webb over there, you guys are looking outside for sourcing. Sam Webb's about as close to that situation as anyone. So if it's happening, he'll know. And he'll probably know before the national types know. But he made a good point. And it's firsthand knowledge. He said, I'm hearing a lot of donors are very hesitant to sign on the dotted line with contributions. They want assurances about the direction. Who's going to be the head coach here? That's totally fair, man. That's totally fair. It's your money. You don't want to be tossing it in, in, into a fan and you don't know where it's going and you don't know who's controlling the fan. So for those reasons, Jim Harbaugh is going to have to make a, an announcement here in some shape, form, or fashion, maybe publicly, maybe not. But I don't think it's going to happen over the next 48 or 72 hours. And the reason is because Black Monday is six days away. That's the Monday after the NFL season ends. That's when we find out who really gets fired. That's who we find out really is serious about this thing. And that's when we find out which jobs come open. And then we can find out whether any of them want to offer Harbaugh sight on, well, not sight unseen, uh, without proper interview, a job. And we also get to find out whether he wants those jobs. You know, we assume, I assume he does, but we'll find out for sure. I would just, I would just like to also speak to the Michigan fans for a second, because I know it kind of sucks to be in limbo like this. I want to ask you, is it worth it? I think it is. Is it worth it? When you've been able to do what you've done the last two years, you beat Ohio State two times. I mean, beat them convincingly two times. Celebrate that for the rest of your life. You've been to the playoff a couple of times. I know last year we got the result most of us expected. This year we didn't, and it leaves a sour taste in your mouth to end the year. But still, man, it beats where you had been, doesn't it? And the future of the program looks bright. Portal is treating you very well right now. So you've got to deal with this right now. Is it worth it? Rhetorical question. I'll look at the comments later. I would imagine most of you would say, all things considered, if I got to wake up every day and check my message board five times an hour to see if I still got a head coach, but I do get to reap these rewards, yeah, yeah, I think it's worth it. And by the way, if he does go, it's the Michigan job. Guys, it's so attractive. So you'll have your choice of a line out the door of quality candidates. 
Everyone wants to get into the Big Ten or the SEC right now. Everyone does. Uh, there, by the way, I know the hiring process at Michigan is a little bit different, and I'm getting way ahead of myself here, but there may be some names, some established names that you don't even know are available that would be available if the Michigan job came open. I know this because I've asked inside the industry, and I know how attractive that Michigan job is. And you can trust me because my logo is the same color scheme as the Michigan logo, so how could you get a closer source on the ground than us? Thank you guys so much for watching the show. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. We got national championship coming up in LA. Where I'm from, that means lower Alabama. But this week it means Los Angeles, and we'll be headed out there later this week, and we'll be doing two live shows from Los Angeles. Where? I don't know. We'll figure it out. In the meantime, for Director Tom, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. It's good to be back live in Nashville. We'll see you Thursday. Until then, God bless.